0: What's up? Your boy Donald here and welcome to episode 16 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Hope you guys all had a good week. There's been a lot of domestic soccer to digest so we're going to get into all that on this episode. We will dip into the MLS is back tournament and all the issues that it faced initially with positive coronavirus tests We'll also talk about the NWSL Challenge Cup, which has completed its preliminary round, and we are about to move to the knockout stage. We will discuss the matches coming up in the quarterfinals. And then finally, the USL Championship has restarted, and they have fans in the stands. We're going to talk about all that for sure. But first, we begin with the MLS is Back tournament, which started a little over a week ago at the ESPN wide world of sports complex in Orlando. 24 teams are a part of this because just a couple days before the start of the tournament, as we mentioned on the last episode, FC Dallas was withdrawn from the tournament because they had 10 positive COVID-19 cases. Nashville SC followed them the day after the start of the tournament because they had nine cases on their team. And Toronto FC, who was supposed to play DC United on the third day of the tournament didn't arrive in Orlando until the Monday before the start of the tournament, so they delayed that match to Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Just three minutes before that match was supposed to start on Sunday morning, it was announced that that match was postponed a second time because of an unconfirmed positive case on DC United and an inconclusive test on Toronto FC. Those tests ended up being false positives and all players were eventually tested negative for the coronavirus. So they tried it again for a third time on Monday morning. And this is probably, to me, where the tournament really started. To that point, we had had a few games. We had had more postponements and cancellations than we had actual games played. And also some games were delayed. One game being that Columbus-Cincy-Hell is Real derby, which started at 11.20 p.m. on the East Coast because of a weather delay. And we knew one thing from that game. Cincy had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That was an abysmal performance. But to me, the tournament really started on Monday morning as D.C. United went down to goals. Then went down a man with a red card to Junior Moreno in the first half. They looked terrible, while Toronto looked absolutely terrific, especially young American Ayo Akinola, who had two great goals in the first 40 minutes, replacing Josie Altidore in the lineup. So what did DC United do after that? Only become the first team since 2007 to go down two goals, then down a man, and come back to get a point. 157 instances had previously preceded that, and no one had gotten a point until D.C. United did. Goals by Federico Higuaín and Fred Biant late in the match salvaged a 2-2 draw for the black and red. And after the game, things got really chippy. You could tell there were frustrations on both sides because of everything that happened, and a lot of that dealt with the just the anxiety that existed about all of these tests and all of the all of the delays and postponements. Today at halftime of the Atlanta-Cincy game, head coach Ben Olsen for DC United said that there was a lot of anxiety inside the bubble with all the back and forth and focus on the positive tests. But that comeback for DC United started the tournament because since then, we've had some incredibly fun games to watch and some incredibly dumb games to watch too. Monday evening, the match between LAFC and Houston Dynamo was just wild. Houston was up 3-1 at one point. But LAFC fought their way back, and they eventually settled for a 3-3 draw with some incredible goals on both sides in those games. Wednesday night, the San Jose Earthquakes gave up two of the worst goals I've seen in recent memory, and they both occurred in the same match to the, to the Vancouver Whitecaps. And they both occurred in the same match to the Vancouver Whitecaps. They were down 3-1 in the 70th minute, and somehow they came back and won 4-3. The Goonies tradition was in full effect in Orlando. Goonies never say die, and that has been the mantra of the San Jose Earthquakes for quite a while, and they proved that Wednesday night. A stoppage time goal from Shay Salinas set off massive celebrations by the Earthquakes bench, complete with a trainer, using the cold spray to create a smoke effect. I actually thought it was a smoke bomb initially and was just going wild at home, but what a comeback from the Earthquakes to steal that win on Wednesday night against Vancouver. And then finally this morning. As we record on a Thursday afternoon. We saw probably the worst game so far in this tournament. Between Atlanta United and FC Cincinnati. I, I feel for anyone like me. Who decided to get up this morning. Just to watch that performance by both teams. What a terrible game to watch. I feel even more for one of my best friends. Who woke up in the middle of the night in Hawaii. To watch her team Atlanta play. Only to see that this entire match was indeed garbage. Cincinnati won 1-0 on a great Frankie Amaya goal. Atlanta had two guys sent off during the match, including one deep into stoppage time in the second half. And I'm pretty upset that MLS gave us that match as the early game. Let's hope the games this weekend are much better than that, because there's nowhere to go but up from there. The focus, though, of this tournament has shifted from the coronavirus to the soccer And that's what MLS was hoping for all along. There haven't been any positive cases inside the bubble in a couple of days now, and we all sincerely hope that continues, that everyone still stays safe. A lot of the teams, though, are still showing rust on the field, but I think the action is going to pick up as teams start to get into it more. Speaking with a friend yesterday, we were discussing what would happen if a team would qualify for the knockout stage, and we've had two so far that have done that in Philadelphia Union and Orlando City. Yes, Orlando City has qualified for the, qual- for the knockout stage, at least so far. Normally, in a tournament like this, you would rest your starters, keep them fresh for the knockout stage, and really get them ready for the games that counts. But in the case of this tournament, the group stage matches count towards the regular season standings. So do you still rest guys? Or do you go for broke to make it count in the standings but risk your guys from the knockout stage? It remains to be seen what those teams do and as teams continue to qualify, whether they rest players or if they continue to play and get those three points. But one thing is for sure. We hope that the focus remains on the soccer and that everyone inside the bubble remains safe. Coming up after the break, we will discuss the NWSL Challenge Cup and... The USL has restarted with fans in the stands. We will break down how unsafe that really is after this. Back here on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast, and we shift gears to the NWSL Challenge Cup. The tournament has completed its preliminary stage of matches, and we have the knockout stage beginning with the quarterfinals on Friday and Saturday. The teams were seated following the preliminary stage, and they have been matched against each other in a bracket. And on Friday, we begin with the match that opened the tournament and the one that people thought would be a preview of the final. Instead, that opening match was a preview of the quarterfinals. The North Carolina Courage take on the Portland Thorns. The Courage dominated the preliminary stage, winning all four of their matches. They were the class of the league as they have been the last three years. The Thorns, on the other hand, did not win a single game. And they were last in the standings, which makes this matchup occur in the quarterfinals instead of a semifinal or a final as most people thought it would be. Still, this could be the matchup of this round. Portland may not have put it all together yet, but they're still incredibly dangerous with Lindsey Horan and Christine Sinclair pushing the attack. However, the Courage on the other end have dominated with Lynn Williams, Dabinia, Crystal Dunn, and Samantha Mewis. That match kicks off the quarterfinals on Friday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS All Access. Friday night, we see the 4-5 matchup as the Houston Dash take on the Utah Royals. Both teams did fairly well during the preliminary stage. The two teams, though, played each other back on June 30th. And it was an exciting 3-3 draw where it probably should have been 4-3. Rachel Daly was denied a hat trick in an incredible fashion. But Rachel Daly is the player to watch for the dash. Her game is incredible. It's impressed me immensely so far in this tournament. And so I look for her to make an impact. And for the Utah Royals, make way for the king! Tiziara King has been impressive so far, and Lola Labonta has sliced and diced defenses throughout the tournament. I look forward to seeing who makes it out of that match as the victor. On Saturday, the first match is the 2-7 matchup as the Washington Spirit take on Sky Blue FC. The Spirit were second in the table after the preliminary stage, and it has done so while dealing with injuries. Rose Lavelle was held out of their final game, but she should be good to go on Saturday. And Andy Sullivan tore her meniscus against the Houston Dash and will be out for the remainder of the tournament. Their captain in the middle will be hard to replace, but they've somehow defied the odds and played team soccer with Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez, Bailey Feist, and Paige Nielsen contributing at points throughout each match. Sky Blue FC, however, is a team that is one to watch. Midge Purse has been out front leading that team. I, I love her game, guys. Love her game. Every single time she plays, I'm impressed more and more, and I think she is the future of the women's national team. I can see it, and I know she's going to be a force, but she is going to give the spirit fits and make this a very interesting matchup. Finally, the nightcap is the 3-6 match. OL Reign against the Chicago Red Stars. Both teams have looked really good at times and have been frustrating at times, but We're not going to be disappointed with this match on a Saturday night to close out the quarterfinals. Look for Casey Short and Julie Ertz to make some noise for Chicago and Sofia Huerta and Taylor Smith holding it down for the rain. It's hard to call this one, but this could be a match that ends up going to penalties to close out that quarterfinal round. CBS All Access has done a great job showing these matches. It would be super nice to have more of these games on linear TV, especially On Big CBS, but if you haven't subscribed to CBS All Access, I think now's the time to do it because these matches are starting to really count and we find out who are going to be the teams moving on to the semifinals. Finally, I wanted to quickly dive into the USL Championship, which restarted its league this past weekend with seven matches. They've also had a few matches during the week. Louisville City debuted its new stadium, Lynn Family Stadium, in a match Sunday evening against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. USL League One is going to start its season this weekend. But one thing that is jarring about the restart of this league is this. The USL is allowing fans into many of its stadiums. Now, you can tell that some are setting fans in clusters or pods. Some are spacing people out and not allowing a lot of fans but some sections seem way more full than they should be. People were sitting way too close to one another, and in the middle of a pandemic, in a country that's experiencing a flare-up of the first wave, this is just straight-up irresponsible. Countries in Europe have done a way better job at controlling the virus than we have, and now they're able to resume matches. But even they're not doing it with fans in the stands. There's only a couple of major leagues outside of the United States, that are allowing fans in the stands right now. Sure, some small soccer leagues have defined logic or even defied irresponsibility in having fans in the stands, but only a couple of major sports leagues have done it so far. The USL is trying to do it in the United States, and this seems irresponsible and reckless. We just can't have fans in the stands right now. We can't. You can say anything you want about people being safe and social distancing and all of that, but... I saw way too many close-ups of fans standing right next to each other yelling and screaming with no masks on. I'm a guy who goes to close to 100 sporting events each year. I travel the world for soccer and other sports. And there's no way I could see myself in a stadium right now with the pandemic at max velocity like it is. College football is on the verge of not having a season. Texas high school football is on the verge of cancellation. The soccer teams are trying to figure out how to get fans in the stands. I understand that their bottom line is what they're trying to fix. People have been out of work. These teams make their money off of gate revenue and concessions and parking and merchandise. But if one person in that stadium gets sick, everyone can get sick. You don't believe me? Let's go back to early March in a Champions League match between Atalanta and Valencia. That match That was held at the San Siro in Milan, because even though Atalanta was based in Bergamo, they had to hold the game in Milan. And because of that, tens of thousands of Atalanta fans traveled to Milan, along with thousands of Valencia fans to watch that match. That match is known as Ground Zero, because soon after, Italy and Spain became the epicenters of a coronavirus outbreak that spread throughout all of Europe. Bergamo, Milan, and Valencia were where most of those cases in those two countries were traced back to, and it's because of that match. One person was probably sick, and by the time that match was over, you had tens of thousands sick, carrying it back to their hometowns and spreading it throughout their communities like wildfire. One match, one match literally set off the wild spread of the coronavirus throughout an entire continent. We have to learn from that. We can't do that here. We cannot sacrifice entire communities for a game. Many of you out there may think I'm exaggerating or overblowing this, but I just don't, I really don't care. Having fans in the stands at any event right now is straight up irresponsible. Soccer should be leading by example creating ways to have fans involved virtually. They should not be telling fans to sign waivers and to put their health and the health of those around them and in the communities they return to in jeopardy so they can cheer at a game they can watch at home. Again, I know it's weird to hear that from me. I travel for sports all the time. I get it. For me to say don't attend a soccer game right now, I get it sounds weird. But don't attend a soccer game right now. We want everyone to be safe and healthy. And I fear that allowing fans in the stands now will give other leagues the idea to do the same. And we may never get a hold of this pandemic and our cases will continue to skyrocket. We will leave it there for episode 16 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Quick reminder, folks, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. We are all on your favorite podcatcher apps And if you have questions or topics you wish to hear discussed, drop us a line at ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we will check back with you to run through the rest of the NWSL Challenge Cup and any other news that comes down the lane. But till then, enjoy the weekend of soccer, everyone. Take care.